It's been said to live is to influence. Influence is the ability to have an effect on the character, behavior, and development of others. You know, to some degree, we all have influence. Whether we realize it or not, we have influence. Now, uh, some people have a massive amount of influence. I was reading about this this week. Um, 36-year-old professional soccer superstar Cristiano Ronaldo is the most followed person on social media. He has more than 600 million followers on Instagram. 600 million. What is that? Twice the pop, just about twice the population of the United States. Of course, soccer, called football in the rest of the world, uh, is, is a world sport. And so, yeah, 600 million. He is able to charge $1.6 million per post on social media. Can you believe that? One post, you know, promoting some product. He makes $40 million annually just from Instagram. That's more than he makes as a professional soccer player, all right? So massive amount of influence out there, reaching millions, hundreds of millions of people. Uh, others of us have a much smaller amount of influence, right? We don't get paid to post a picture of our dog, do we? No. Um, maybe we get five likes or something. I mean, just a, a very limited amount of influence if you gauge total influence on social media, right? That's kind of a misnomer anyway. But every single one of us has influence, even if it's simply our family, our coworkers, or our friends and those closest to us, even our, our neighbors. We're influencing someone. A Peanuts cartoon showed Peppermint Patty talking to Charlie Brown, in which uh, she says, guess what, Chuck? First day of school, and uh, uh, you'll never believe it, but I got sent to the principal's office. She said, it's your fault, Chuck. And Charlie Brown's like, my fault? Why is it my fault? How could it be my fault? Why do everything I do, or everything you do, why is it my fault? To which she declares, you're my friend, aren't you, Chuck? You should have been a better influence on me. And while, you know, Peppermint Patty, I guess she's trying to pass the buck there, and her actions are her own fault, of course, she's right about influence. And the truth is, all of us should be a good influence, right? A positive influence, especially those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus uh, as we live in a corrupt and a dark world. Here's tonight's big idea. It is there on the screen. Jesus calls his followers to be difference makers in this world. He calls us to be difference makers. We are living with a purpose. Your life you're a follower of Jesus. Your life has a purpose. And what is that? Well, tonight as we come back to the Sermon on the Mount, we've already covered the first 12 verses. Tonight we're going to look at verses 13 through 16. And this is what we're seeing. We're seeing that, that, that Jesus calls us to make a difference in the world. Our influence, as we're going to see him say, comes more from who we are rather than anything we might do. Now, don't mishear me. What we do is important, yes. But it never speaks more loudly as what we are. What we are. Who we are. What our character is like. True influence in the world derives more from what we are than anything we might do. And Jesus calls us to live a way, in a way, that is upside down, radically different from what the secular world believes. The philosophies of the secular world, the, the mantras of the secular world, the way the secular world would have us to believe we ought to live. Jesus, what he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, is radically different than what we would learn if we just put our ears to the media that we uh, constantly have bombarded at us. As we've learned from the Beatitudes, the qualities that Jesus blesses are not the same attributes the world typically thinks are worthy of praise. 
The world glorifies power and dominion, force and physical strength, uh, status and class, right? But by contrast, Jesus blesses humility. He blesses meekness. He blesses mercy and mourning and purity of heart and even persecution for, for righteousness' sake. These qualities are polar opposite from the, the, what the world would have us to believe. What the world would teach us is what is important in life. In other words, Jesus blesses people who are willing to be opposed and disenfranchised for righteousness sake. Peacemakers, not protesters. Poor in spirit, not proud. People who are persecuted, not pompous. And power mongers. And the credibility of what they hear will be determined by the integrity in what they see in us, in our lives. So in Matthew chapter 5, we're looking at 13 through 16 tonight, Jesus uses two metaphors, two metaphors to describe the influence that we as his followers have in the world around us. Let's read those verses. You follow along as I read them. Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lamps a light and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light to all, for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Two metaphors, salt and light. Both salt and light affect their environment. So uh, when disciples of Jesus live out the countercultural values and principles of the Beatitudes, what Jesus is saying here, here is that people are going to take notice. The world is going to see the difference. They're going to they're take notice of how we are living, who we are as followers of Jesus, and we're going to have an influence, a positive influence on the world around us. So we're just going to look at those two metaphors tonight. The first one, number one, is that we are to be salt. As we're living with this purpose, Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth. Now, people who were listening when Jesus sat down on this hillside and be and, and began to teach these things, the people who were listening, they were very familiar with salt. In fact, I might even dare say more familiar than, with salt than maybe we are today. Now, I know we're all familiar with salt. We know what it is. We all have a salt shaker uh, or a couple of them. Uh, we use real salt in our house. You know what real salt is? Like, that's the, that's the name, but it comes from some, I don't know, some under in Utah somewhere some underground seabed you know and it's called real salt as if all the others are fake I don't know but that's about all I know about salt I know that it, you, your body needs it I know your body regulates it like there's it's I think the number is 140 your, your body keeps your salt at 140 and if it gets too high or too low you're in trouble so your body just kind of naturally regulates that but that's not what Jesus is really talking about here. When he, when he uses this metaphor uh, of salt, basically what we find here, just simply what he says in verse uh, number 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its taste, how can it be salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So basically what Jesus is saying here about salt is it's either useful or it's useless. It's one or the other. Useful or useless? Now, salt was used, I'm going to give you a couple of uses of, of common salt back in this day. Some of these are still used today. First of all, salt was used as a preservative. 
Now today we have all these chemicals we pump into food as preservatives, but, and we have refrigeration, right? We, we, you bring home a piece of meat, you, you throw it in the refrigerator. You bring home some fish, you throw it in the refrigerator. Back then what they would do is, because they didn't have refrigeration, as you know, they would pack it with salt, and, and that was supposed to slow down the, 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 the bacteria from, uh, you know, destroying, rotting out the meat. So salt prevents and kills bacteria. And for this reason, uh, wars were fought back in this day over salt. Like, they went to war, like they went, people died over the rights of, to have salt and the possession of salt. Entire economies were based on the, the, the amount of salt that, the, that they were able to produce or that they had in stock. Why? Because salt could literally make the difference between life and death. So different than what we are familiar with today. But it was used as a preservative. Second, it was used as an antiseptic. Back in ancient times, newborn babies were bathed in salt. Uh, the, the salt was rubbed uh, uh, on them, uh, you know, as a, some type of a, you know, kill the germs uh, or whatever, you know, just coming out of the womb. Uh, salt can also, as we know, can be used in the treatment of wounds. Um, salt water is a good medicine, though it's painful, stings, uh, especially if you have broken blisters. Uh, as active kids growing up in the great outdoors in New England, my brothers and I found ourselves too many times breaking out with poison ivy. Have you ever had a breakout of poison ivy? Any of you come from that part of the country? This one particular day, man, we found this stuff growing up a tree. And it had these little green little peas growing on it. And we thought, man, these are great, man. Look, they fit perfectly in a straw. You can spit them at your sisters as you're riding by on your bike. And so that's what we decided to do. And lo and behold, the next morning we woke up and our faces were blown up. Like our eyes were almost shut. And I'll never forget it because we had bunk beds in our room. I'll never forget it. What my younger brother wakes up and he starts laughing at my older brother. Ah, look at your face. He's like, look at your face. And we are all blown up from poison sumac. You ever used calamine lotion before? I mean, we, it was so bad, we had to go to the doctor for a shot um, for that. But you know what we would often do when we, had a, when we got into the poison ivy? We'd go down to the Atlantic Ocean. We were living in Rhode Island, not far from the ocean. We would get in the water, and the salt water would bring relief from all that itching. In the same way, you know, salt, in this day, this was like one of the main antiseptics that they would use. If there was an infection, this is how they would combat it. The third way that salt was used, <coughs> as still today, is as a flavor enhancer. As we know, salt adds flavor to food and it creates thirst. Many foods would be bland, right? without salt. In fact, look at the salt content, the sodium content in, in some of the canned foods. I mean, it's just hyped up with salt, and that's where it gets all that uh, flavor from. And I think that this is really the main, con in the context here, I think this is what Jesus is really getting at here in the text. So what does he mean when he says to his followers, you are the salt of the earth? Well, that clause, you are the salt of the earth, it's, notice here, it's a statement. You see that? You are the salt of the earth. This is not a command. He's not saying be the salt of the earth. He's saying you are the salt of the earth. What is he telling them? He's not telling them what to do. He's telling them what they are. What they are. Now, Salt serves a function, as we just saw. But why does salt serve a, a, a function? Try to stay with me. Why, why, does why does salt serve a function? It's simply because of its inherent qualities. It's because of what the salt is, the composition of the salt. That is why sir, uh, salt serves these particular functions, because of the chemical makeup of it, because salt is salt. That's why. 
If salt then loses those inherent qualities, what happens? It loses its function, right? So let's just tune this into what Jesus is talking about. He's just, he, he's just talked through the Beatitudes. He's, he's been teaching what a follower of Jesus, how a follower of Jesus lives their lives. And it's not a, it's not a do thing. It's a, this is what a follower of Jesus is. This is what radiates from them. It is, it is God's work in us. And so what I think he's doing here is I think that what he's saying is, is just as salt loses, if it loses its inherent qualities, it loses its function. I think what he's saying is without, the pov- without poverty of spirit, without spiritual mourning over sin, without humility, without a hunger for righteousness, without mercy, without purity of heart, without being peacemakers, Followers of Jesus, we lose our function as salt of the earth. <coughs> Are you with me? We lose our function. Soon as if, if our heart isn't pure, right, we're, we don't have the same effect as when our heart is pure, right? You following me? So when those beatitude attitudes, those qualities, those values are radiating from our life, then we are acting, functioning as the salt of the earth. Notice second here that it is the earth that needs the salt. He says, you're the salt of the earth, not the kingdom of heaven. It's the earth that needs the salt. It's the earth for whom we are salt, right? So let's think about just simple applications here. Well, just as salt is a, was used as a preservative, Jesus uses his followers to help preserve this fallen world that has turned his back on him. He uses us as preservative. You know, as followers of Jesus... Here we are, we live in a corrupt culture. Uh, I don't say that so that we, you know, somehow feel more right, you know, self-righteous or, you know, we're better than every, I, this is not meant to sound like, hey, we got it, we got, we're over here and all those, you know, we, we know that, what, we know where we came from, right? We know what Jesus saved us from, right? So let's not get this us and them mentality. But the reality is, is if we're following Jesus, there is, there's a difference. There is to be a difference. And, and it begins in the heart. It begins with the work that God is doing <coughs> within us. And so as we live with Christ, we walk with Christ, and, and Jesus is transforming our life, then we have this preserving, purifying effect in our world. So look, Jesus isn't drumming up boycotts. He's not, he's not calling for a protest, you know. Uh, I'm not big on boycotts, you know. I, if you want to boycott, that's fine. I, I just, I'm not real big on them. I, I think that, that uh, you know, uh, we, the culture that we live in, I believe that we just have to, we have to interact, right? We're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. So I believe that, that, you know, we can, look, spend your money where you want. So don't take this as a don't boycott kind of a thing. You, you follow the, the conviction uh, that God puts on your heart about those kind of things. But I just want to bring it back to simply saying, look, Jesus isn't talking about drumming up a boycott to be the salt of the earth. <laughs> it comes down to who we are starting right inside here, right inside of our heart. The way that we walk with Jesus. That is what makes us the salt of the earth. And when we're the, that salt, we have this preserving effect in our culture. The second application would be just as salt is a useful antiseptic, Jesus uses his followers to help heal the wounded, to help bring healing. Do you ever put salt in like a cold sore? How many of you, you ever use that as a remedy? We would do that when we were a kid. I still do it from time to time. You get a cold sore, your, your throat hurts, you know, and you can gargle some salt water. But, you know, you take, <coughs> I would put some salt on my finger and I'd put it in that cold sore. And you know what happens, right? 
you want to jump through the roof because it stings real bad. But you knew that if you could get past the sting, it was going to get better. You know, sometimes if we are living as followers of Jesus and walking with him and these beatitude values are being expressed in our life through his Holy Spirit as we yield ourselves to him, you know, sometimes we're going to sting people. Now, again, I, I, I have to be weary. I have to be careful here that we don't go looking to sting people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying go out and fi- get you a big stinger and like sock it to them. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when we are what the Beatitudes say, we are going to cause a sting to some people, not looking for it, not looking to sting anyone, but the salt effect. But why? Well, the sting isn't to make them hurt. The sting is to do what? To heal. To heal. And I think, I'm afraid that there's this element in Christianity where it's all about stinging, and there's no, there's, I don't sense from some Christians that there's, they don't have any desire to heal anybody. They just, they just want to, you know, make everybody know what a, you know, low down ungodly sinner they are and just sock it to them. Look, we have to preach the truth, but isn't the goal to see folks come to Jesus and to know Jesus and to be healed spiritually, right? To, to have a, a walk with Christ and for their life to be transformed. So, so uh, the third application would be that in the same way that salt enhances flavor uh, of the, the, the food at seasons, the beatitude present follower of Jesus is going to stand out as those who enhance the flavor of life in this world. It ought to be this way, shouldn't it, church? We ought to be the people in the neighborhood. We ought to be the people among our friends that enhances the life of the people around us, that enhances the flavor of life by which other people live around us, not the people who drag people down, you know, and and are the constant killjoy everywhere, but that because of the life of Christ in us, the happiness that, that God is producing in our life through those beatitude attitudes, right, that 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 is affecting, and it's adding flavor and adding joy uh, to the people that we come in contact with. That's the way it ought to be. So common salt is useful, but contaminated salt is useless, is useless. And this is what Jesus says here. If the salt loses its taste, how can it be made salty? It's not good for anything except to be thrown out and to be trampled under people's feet. Well, the salt in Jesus' day was not pure sodium chloride like it is today. It was a mixture of other minerals, and so consequently, due to water and other uh, things like water moisture, uh, other contaminants, the salt could become diluted. It could become contaminated, and when it did, it would lose its flavor. And when it lost its flavor, it lost its usefulness and so when jesus says they're the salt of the earth and that they can lose their salty taste they understood from their experience that salt could lose its taste and i know that there have been some who have accused jesus of making an error here when they remind us that from a scientific viewpoint pure sodium chloride can't lose its saltiness But Jesus isn't giving a a scientific lesson here. He's illustrating a a spiritual truth with something familiar to them, right? So when salt became tasteless, they could not make it salty again. So what would they do? They would throw it out of their house. This valuable commodity, they would actually throw it out into the street and it would be trampled under people's feet. Historians tell us this. We read this in history. It was useless in cooking. It would be useless as a preservative. It would be useless for sanitation. It would even be useless for flavoring food. So, t- so tasteless salt is 
worthless. What does all this mean? It just simply means that as followers of Jesus, we must remain pure and undiluted and unmixed in our walk with Christ or we lose our saltiness. And when we lose our saltiness, church, we really lose our purpose for living on this earth, on this earth. Because our life, is, as we'll see in a moment, is to bring glory to God and honor to God and point people to Jesus Christ. And so if we lose our saltiness, then really what good are we for on this earth as a follower of Jesus? So what is required here? One word, write this down. The, what is required is simply sanctification. For us to be more like Jesus, to becoming more like him through the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, the transforming effect that the Spirit of God has on our life, that is what is required for us to be salty and to remain salty. We don't want to be those who, like salt, loses its saltiness. And in doing so, our ability to influence the world around us for the kingdom of God is lost. We, want, we don't want to become saltless or tasteless. We want to shake the salt, right? We want to shake the salt all around us in the world and allow God to use our lives in this way. I think there's one caution I'll give you here before we go on to the next metaphor, and that is that we have to avoid over-salting. Have you ever over-salted food? How do you oversalt as a follower of Jesus? Here's how I think. I think oversalting would be having a holier than thou attitude. You know, if there's one thing the world can't stand, <laughs> it's a Christian who's on a high horse. You know, just with this holier than thou. We have all the answers. You know, we're we're Mr. Righteous. We're Mr. Perfect. And they can't do anything right. I think we have to be careful about having this holier-than-thou attitude. Don't try to be an antiseptic. Just walk with Jesus. You follow me? Don't try to make the sting. Don't, don't look to, to lay zingers on that friend who doesn't know Jesus. Just walk with Jesus. And the more you become like him, the more effectively you will function as salt. So don't try to act salty. Follow Jesus. You are the salt. Metaphor number two. What is it, church? It is light. We are to be light. So what does salt do? It goes inward and it disappears. However, light comes from within <coughs> and always appears. You see the contrast that Jesus has given us? The salt speaks of character, what we are. The light speaks of testimony. It speaks of what we do. And the world needs both. The world needs this penetration of the salt and it needs the illumination of the light. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And, and the Greek scholars tell us that the word you here is emphatic, which means that it is you and nobody else. You as my followers, as my disciples, you are the light of the world and nobody else is the light. It is you. Now, remember who Jesus is talking to here. Is he talking to great statesmen? No, he's not. He's not. Is he talking to philosophers? Nope. Are there some great Christian statesmen today? You better believe there are. Are there some great Christian, you know, orders, preachers, you know? Yes, there are. Apologi apologists, Christian philosophers. Man, uh, thank God for YouTube, man. You can listen to, to some of the greatest uh, through YouTube. But, but let's just remind ourselves who Jesus is talking to when he says, Hey, guys, you're the light of the world. You know who he's talking to? He's talking to Galileans. You know who the Galileans were? They were the country bumpkins. They were the hillbillies. They, they were the, 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 the common folks. That's who Jesus is talking to here. He's talking to some guys, for the most part, they're fishermen. Now, 
uh, you know, Peter and, and Andrew, James and John, they had respectable business. They were, they were earning their keep. They were providing for their community. Yeah, it was all good. It was hard work, and, and they were very effective. But, but listen, these guys weren't very high on the food chain. They weren't, they weren't the, the best of, of, of educated men. Can you imagine what this sounded like to them? As Jesus looks at them and says, guys, you're the light of the world. They're like, who are you talking to? Us country bumpkins? Us guys? Oh, man. Poor world. I mean, if we're, if we're the light of the world, man, what, what's going on here? We are the light of the world? Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, do you know how God intends to get his work done in the world today? You know how he intends to do that? If Jesus were to stand right here tonight, he could very well say the very same thing to you. The very same thing. He could look at you and say, you are the light of the world. Listen, God could have gone about getting his work done another way. And he uses a lot of different means, doesn't he? But understand something. God's ways are higher than our ways. We might have chosen someone else. In fact, don't we often think somebody else? <laughs> somebody else is the light of the world. Not me. Not me. Somebody else. Paul, the last of the apostles, was a well-educated man. Yeah, God uses them too. But listen to what Paul wrote to the believers in the church at Corinth. He said, who is the one who is wise? Who is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. What was preached? Jesus was preached. Paul says in verse 23 there of 1 Corinthians 1, we preach Christ crucified. And I believe therein lies the secret, church. We are the light of the world because of and through the cross of Jesus Christ, as we just remembered here a few moments ago. It is through uh, the cross of Jesus that, that even a small child can know the heart of God. Isn't that amazing? A small child can, can know God's heart. Is there any greater wisdom than knowing the heart of God? No, sir. You see, Jesus is the true light of the world. You remember that when Mary and Joseph took Jesus, the baby Jesus, to Jerusalem to have him circumcised, Simeon was there and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he took him up in his arms and he declared Jesus to be a light for the revelation uh, uh, to the Gentiles in glory to God's people Israel the light of the Gentiles John declared that in Jesus was life and that life was the light of men Jesus himself declared I am the light of the world anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness and will have the light of men so listen church if Christ is in you his light shines in you and through you and from you to those in darkness. Thus, you are the light of the world. Now, you don't light light. Just like you don't salt salt. Right? It's inherent. Light is light. What's the idea? The idea is that we are to get outside of the four walls of the church. Now, a church isn't a building, but you get the idea. Is that we are to get outside what we do here when we gather. We're to go outside and we are to shine out there in the world. The thing that Jesus wants us to know about light is simply that it naturally needs to be displayed. It needs to be visible. Look what Jesus says. <coughs> a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. 
no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So what is he saying? He's saying visible, not invisible. Visible. What does light do? What's a light for? Think of all the lights in the world. You've flown into Phoenix, haven't you? At night? <coughs> and you see the, the miles of, of, of lights. It's, it's beautiful, isn't it? It's, it's breathtaking. I, I always love flying in at night and just looking out over the sea of, of lights in the, the city. But, but think of all the lights there are in the world. Well, starting with the biggest one of all. There's the sun, of course. Then there's the moon, which isn't really a light. It's more like a reflector, but it does serve as a light as it reflects the, the sun's light at night. There are street lights. Uh, um, there's lights on our cars. We have lights in our ceilings, right? Lights in our, in our closets. We have lights on our desks, on our tables, uh, over um, the sink and mirror in the bathroom, right? Strung up over our yard. Uh, decorative lights, you know, that that we put up on our homes uh, during the holidays. There's night lights. There's lights on our, on our phones. There's flashlights and lanterns that we, that we can take with us wherever we go. There's portable work lights. I mean, listen, there are billions and billions of lights in the world. Why? Why? Because it gets dark. Does, does the darkness mean the, the light isn't shining? The sun's always shining. But we live on this planet we call Earth, and it rotates. As you, I'm not teaching you anything you don't know. I understand that. But it rotates, and when it rotates, we're at, at time for, for a period of, of the day, we are on the dark side of the Earth. The, the light is on the, <clears throat> it's on the other side. It gets dark as the, as the Earth rotates away from the sun. So for us humans... We need light to see. Why do we need light to see? Well, to function. How, how would we live our lives without any light at all? Now, there are people who do it. There are blind people, and we've known some. We've had blind folks in our church. <clears throat> and uh, they, they're able to function. But listen, Their functioning is much limited, isn't it? In fact, what would you rather give up, your hearing or your eyesight? I think most of us, want to take a survey real quick? How many of you would rather give up your sight? Anybody raise your hand? Okay, how many of you would rather give up your hearing? Okay, Judy, are you the only, I think we had one raise your hand and it said rather give up her sight. And maybe it's because you're looking at me right now. She's like, I don't want to see this anymore. <laughs> and I, I can understand. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, good. So, so it's unanimous. It's unanimous. You can learn sign language, right? Bill, Bill can teach you sign His parents were both deaf, and he grew up in that, and, and he can sign like nobody's business. Um, you, can, you can lip read, right? I mean, there's, there's ways that you can get by. But man, if you don't have your sight and you can't see your wife's face, your, your, your children's face, you, can't, you go to the Grand Canyon and it just, it's a cold breeze. I mean, you, you can't take anything in. What a, what a, what a terrible, what a, what a terrible way to live. And, and my heart goes out to those who, <clears throat> who are, who, who deal with blindness on a daily basis. Listen, uh, Light is to help us see so that we can function safely, so that we can function properly, so that we can function productively in our life, right? Are you, are you following the metaphor here? If we are the light of the world, it means that, that there's darkness. And yes, the world is filled with darkness. There's immorality and unbelief and corruption and violence and pain and death all of these things engulf us like darkness, and we are to be like this city that is set on a hill where people from miles away, they can, they, who, who dwell in this deep darkness where they can look to the light and have this beacon of hope toward which they can, they can move toward. No, no one ever says, 
I'm afraid of the light. Nobody. But we've all been at times afraid of the dark. Remember being a little kid? I know some of us are big, bad, burly men now. We're not afraid of the dark. But there was, there was a time. There's been a couple times. I can remember being afraid of the dark, man, because you can't see. We understand the metaphor that Jesus is giving here. It's, it's rather simple. When we exhibit the kingdom living like described in the Beatitudes, our light dispels the darkness. So light eliminates darkness. It also enhances our sight. This morning, uh, early, I was taking Brianna. She had a track meet. <clears throat> and so she had to catch a school bus to go down to Ahwatukee. And, and uh, it was, I don't know, six-something, and the sun was coming up. And where we live out in Cross River, uh, if you've ever been out Deer Valley and it, how it goes out to Williams out there, so we kind of live up on a hill, and when you drive down this hill to come down Williams, you can see the mountains like far, far off in the distance, and the sun comes up over those mountains. And what, uh, anybody see the sunrise this morning? David, you saw it? Unbelievable. One of the most beautiful sunrises uh, I've seen in a long time. Beautiful. She snapped a picture of it with a cactus. We're flying down the road, and she snapped a picture of it. But, but what makes the sunrise so spectacular? Well, it's the sun. It's the light. Church, there's so many different ways you can think about this, and what I challenge you to do is, is, to, is to ponder this. Think about what light does this week, and, and what, how is that supposed to, what does that mean for you in how you live your life and what Jesus intends for you to be in the world in which you live, the neighborhood in which you live, the family in which, in which you live. We are to be visible. So the contrast here is visible, not invisible. Jesus says no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. You don't turn a light on only to shut it, right? I mean, uh, you have a refrigerator. We all do. And you open that refrigerator, and what happens? The light kicks on, doesn't it? And when you close that door, what happens? The light turns off. At least, are you sure? Have you ever wondered? Like, I, I need to, is it really turning off? Yeah, it does. Why does the light turn off when you close the door? There's a switch, but, but no, it's not needed. I mean, it's not like, there's anything in there that's going to, it's not like the asparagus is going, oh, I pray the dark. If you've seen uh, VeggieTales, the, the, the asparagus guy, maybe, maybe so. But the, 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 there's nothing in the refrigerator that's afraid of the dark that needs to see anything. It is for us. You open the refrigerator, the light turns on. Why? So that you can then be productive, so that you can see what you need, right? You can get what you need. Listen, you don't, you don't turn the light on and then shut it up. Here Jesus says you don't cover a light with a, a basket. Uh, back in that day, a bushel basket was something that they carried stuff in. This is back before cardboard boxes and plastic bags. Uh, nowadays, everything comes to our house in what? A cardboard box from Amazon or UPS, right? You don't have to go to, you don't have to, go to the farm. It comes to you in a cardboard box. Or you go to the market and you, you pick up your goods and what do you do? You put in a plastic bag and you carry it home. And so this, this, these bushel baskets, these were used for business. They were used for commerce. They were used in everyday kind of ways. The, the late Adrian Rogers made an application here with this. He said, you know, I don't, he said, I don't, I, what I believe is that our, our light should not be made invisible by our business operations, by what we do in our daily lives. It shouldn't be made invisible. We ought to shine out there. He made a great point. He's like, listen, sometimes what we do is we go to a, a luncheon with business colleagues or, or uh, we're, we're out in the market and, and we're, to, we're the light, but we cover our light. We don't let anybody... We just kind of keep our Jesus following to ourselves and we don't say boo about it 
You know, we don't give any indication or, or whatever. It's just, it's like we try to hide it. We talk the talk. We just kind of blend in with the rest of society and try not to stick out. And I think what Adrian Rogers was saying is, yeah, that's exactly what Jesus is saying we ought not do. We shouldn't take our, our, our daily productivity in life and all the things of life and cover our light with that we are to shine where are we to shine whenever we are before others when we're before anywhere and everywhere friends when you got saved you were saved to shine don't make your light invisible let your light shine when the light of the christian life does not or when it does what it's supposed to do, it can't be hidden. It can't be extinguished. Instead, it stands tall, it shines clearly, and it's shared with others. It's our privilege, it's our duty, it's our responsibility. And the simple question is, church, are you ashamed of the one who died for you? Or are you a light burning? Two things that are required. i got to speed this up and, and conclude. Two things that are required to be the light of the world. Number one, I think it requires some surrender. Why do I think that? Well, notice what Jesus says here. He says in verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. You don't have to make yourself shine. When Jesus is in you, and you're right with him, and you're filled with the Spirit, you will shine just let yourself shine you don't have to force it sometimes forcing it's like a glare you know you get that glare sometimes i'll be sitting in starbucks and there's a spot where the car pulls in and it just reflects perfectly and i'm like oh man you know nobody likes a glare and i think sometimes when we try to force the light like trying to sting with the salt it creates a glare, and it just kind of irritates people. Just, look, it's not that difficult. Just let your light shine. Just say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Shine through me. Just shine through me. I think it requires surrender, and I also think it requires some sacrifice. Why? Because in order for lamps to shine, it has to burn. Candles burn, right? And when a candle burns, what happens? It's consumed. Right? It's fuel. And it's consumed. We must be willing to be consumed for Christ. We have to be willing to burn for Christ. Are we willing to burn from, for him? Or are we too busy just trying to live our life? And we got our bushel basket, but in doing so, our light is constantly covered. Jesus says when we shine for him, what happens, church? He says that our lives will reflect the glory of God, our good works. It says at the end of the verse, he says, so then they might see your good works and do what? And give glory to your Father in heaven. When we reflect the glory of God, what happens is that more people in the darkness will see our good works and they will glorify God our Father. Perhaps even by converting, by coming to Jesus, following Jesus, committing their lives to Him, perhaps when they observe how we react to pressure and trials, they'll want that same kind of fortitude. When we live out the Beatitudes, they will see a difference in our lives and our lives will bring glory to God and they will bring glory to God. So, church, your life in Christ has purpose. There is a purpose for you. So followers of Jesus, what are we to do? Let's just simply commit tonight to live as salt and light, to make a difference for the glory of God. You know, to do that, we have to, we have to be present and visible. We can't hide in our homes. We can't just become hermits and 
Never talk to anybody who doesn't know Jesus. No, we have to be present. We have to be visible. That's where the salt and the light does its work. And so what I, what I encourage you to do is this. Simply ask yourself, am I present in the world? Am I showing up? Am I going out to, to show up for Jesus wherever you are? Am I showing up as the light and the salt or am I just showing up as, you know, I'm just doing my job. I'm just here to punch the clock. I'm just here to get through my day and get my check so that I can live my life. Remember, God has a bigger purpose for your life. Be the salt and the light. And ask yourself that. Am I present as salt? Am I visible as light? And if not, what needs to change? What needs to change? And ask God to help change you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, your life can be changed. And you need to, to see the light of Jesus Christ as he can change your life dramatically. And we invite you to know him Maybe you have questions. Maybe, maybe there are things that you're exploring. I want to encourage you. But we want to be your friend and help you along that journey. And we invite you to join us in that. And so may we do this. May we conclude by bowing our heads together and just taking a moment and asking, am I present as salt? Am I visible as light? Meditate on these things this week, would you? Take some time to really think about your life, what salt and light are, and, and how that really is being lived out in your life. Would you say, Lord, would you, would you show me? Would you reveal to me where I am with this? And would you help me to live up to the purpose that you have, the calling that you have on my life? Father, thank you so much that Jesus Christ on a, on a hillside gave us such a, a powerful lesson that we can understand the purpose for which we are here on this planet today. All these folks who heard the, the sermon originally, these disciples, they're, they're in glory now. And it's our turn. This is our generation. Peoria is our neighborhood, Sun City, Sun City West and Surprise and Glendale and the, the neighborhoods around us, Lord, where we're all from, may you help us to be salt and light in our families, in our community, in our schools, in our workplaces. We pray. Use us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen.